Attention to roll call. Welcome to the 265 Police Live Series. Brought to you by the New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide expert analysis of past and present law enforcement related events with a trained eye. Listen to the boots on the ground weigh in on the court of public opinion. Well, public, how you doing out there? Here we have another opportunity to give out some content. And the content that I want to give out to you is about CCRB. I know we've, we've been driving and pounding CCRB out there because, unfortunately, it is the major contributing factor to crime. And as far as I'm concerned, along with the vaccine mandate, it parallels the vaccine mandate, in, in my opinion, as a contributing factor contributing factor to the mass exodus of our veterans, our highly ta- talented men and women in blue in the New York City Police Department. So if anyone had an opportunity to see, there was an article that just surfaced yesterday. And the article that surfaced was about the first Hasidic lieutenant or the first Hasidic police officer on the job is actually going through a department administrative trial within the New York City Police Department facing a substantiated complaint from the CCRB. Now, there's numerous issues that I have with this article. For one, I'm holding the Daily News accountable. The trial is going on at this point. So we have not gotten to a point of a guilty verdict or a not guilty verdict. And I think it's completely irresponsible and lacks integrity that they put this article out now before the trial has before summation. And I do think the reason why they put this particular trial out in the paper is because it's sexy. It sells. Here you have the first Hasidic Jewish police officer, New York City Police Department, who rose to the rank of lieutenant. And I've done my homework. He has no discipline on this job whatsoever. And here he's facing a civilian complaint, a civilian complaint for actions taken at a riot. And I'm highly confident that the allegations against him, because I'm actually reading this article, and the information that I have, because I was actually on the scene, and I actually received a substantiated complaint from unknown individuals at this particular June 4, 2020 riot, the confines of the 4-0 precinct in the vicinity of the Millbrook houses in the Bronx, there, there was an all-out riot. And I read the article, and the Civilian Complaint Review Board continues to refer to the agitators and the actors of this particular riot as protesters. I was there. It was completely not a protest. It was a riot. The agitators of this particular assembly gathered at 149th Street and 3rd Avenue, which is the hub of the Bronx, the second largest shopping district in New York City, with signs that said FTP. And we know the organization FTP means fuck the police. So immediately they got there with bad intentions. Shortly thereafter, there was two vehicles that were occupied that were placed under arrest. One was occupants inside that had Molotov cocktails, and the other one was occupants that had illegal firearms, and it was a credible source of information, and there was a clear nexus, which means there was a connection between those two cars to the riot. And when we had that riot, the agitators of that riot came prepared wearing articles such as goggles. Why? So that they could prevent themselves from getting maced or pepper sprayed, should the police department have to deploy it. Also, because they were throwing items such as urine, they had spray bottles. Who knew what the contents were inside those spray bottles? And even at some point, which I explained to the Civilian Complaint Review Board, that I had 
gotten, I perched atop a vehicle to get a better vantage point so that I could actually identify particular individuals that I saw picking up or attempting. They were trying to pick up a wheelbarrow and throw it over a fence so that they could throw it over the cops. Is that a protest? I think not. It was an all-out riot. So here, this lieutenant was brought to that location because they were calling for help. He was not the initial responder. He was not there to set up a strategic plan to help strategically coordinate the, the movement of these rioters. He was there helping. And then you have a female complainant, and her co claim is that she was stomped on her head. And that is complete a farce. I actually was there at the riot, and I watched, including myself, not only do we place people on the rest, but we also actually helped some of those people that were in the riot to safety because some people in that crowd were agitators and they were rioting and they were seeking out violence. And there were some people in that crowd that obviously were in an element, in, in uncharted territory. And those people we helped to safety. So it was a mixed bag. And we were helping those people. And now here's the problem I say with the Civilian Complaint Review Board. In my particular case, and I could, it's, it's comparable to this case, I was found substantiated, which means guilty by the CCRB. However, I was found not guilty in the trial room. So here you are. The verdict is that two, two uh, different opinions, two courts of, of opinion. One opinion is by the C Civilian Complaint Review Board, which I don't hold too much weight because it does not have a police perspective. And the police perspective in the New York City Police Department, in my case, was not guilty. So here, this lieutenant is now facing a trial. His trial was completed. He has to wait for an outcome, which usually takes about three to four weeks from the judge. And then after the judge makes his or her decision, I believe it was a female uh, administrative judge in this case, she then sends all her paperwork, her recommendations to the police commissioner. And then the police commissioner has the final say of what direction this particular case goes in. And why, if the public asks, Civilian Complaint Review Board is a watchdog. It's supposed to be in a, an independent eye. And the reason why the police commissioner still has the last say is because it's a police perspective, understanding the parameters of why police take such actions that does not coincide with Civilian Complaint Review Board's recommendation. So that's the problem I take issue, because no matter what, if this particular lieutenant is found not guilty, or it's a reduced penalty. His 50A, which is open to the public, will always say substantiated. What do you think about that, John? I hold issue to that. To me, that's a, that is a particular problem. It's a stain on your record that never goes away. It is, I mean, discipline on this job, it really has to be highlighted, the hypocrisy that's going on the weight that officers have to bear when they're accused of something. Um, and mind you, when officers are accused of anything like this, they're still sent out on the street to possibly violate you further, right? If, if, if the narrative is that these officers are brutal and these officers are corrupt and all of these things, then maybe these officers should be put in administrative positions and not out on the street for for the time that this is going on. But that's not what's happening, right? Because why? They need them out there. Go out there and do your job, right? But they'll let so they'll let the officer go out and continue to do the job when ninety nine percent of the time these officers are not guilty of anything. They're merely accused. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time they're merely accused, um, and that's why you see cases like Eric where you know they're found guilty by an, an administrative hearing from the CCRB, but the job is finding these officers not guilty. I do feel 
the way that politics in New York City are going, you're going to start to see the NYPD shy away from that. I hope I'm wrong on that. I seen uh, Commissioner Keechan Sewell came out today speaking out against bail reform, asking Governor Kathy Hochul to repeal or revise. Um, I do find it questionable being that we're now how many days away from the election? We're five days away from the election. I find that uh, to be more of a publicity stunt than anything. But, Commissioner, if you're listening, I'm just going to ask again that you give the, 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 the officers a fair trial, that you have your people review this with a trained eye. You have, you have New York City Police Department investigators look over that investigation, particularly the people in the Internal Affairs Bureau, and really, truly make a determination should discipline be issued. I take huge issue to the way this article is written against uh, uh, Lieutenant Joel Wittroll, someone who I have interacted with in the police department. And by all means, I have my personal opinion of him as he's a great guy. He's not out there to brutalize or beat up on anyone or stomp anyone's head. Um, and Eric, I just got a question for you. The, the, the majority of people who are arrested that day and I don't even want to say the majority of people that arrested that day, but particularly the person in this who's saying her head was stomped on. Does she live in New York City? Do we know? Well, that's another agitating factor. She does not live in, in New York City. Uh, I think it's a. I think we believe she lives in Ohio, somewhere in the Midwest. And she actually, yeah, she actually. Dude, didn't lives- I say, dude? Didn't I say that on a prior podcast? I said <laughs> you that sure people did. live in Ohio. <laughs> that that. But it's true. So that's my experience in it. And that's why I asked. I did not know the answer to this. I don't, I don't even speak with Eric Wolfon anymore because he wants to do a podcast every time he calls me. So <laughs> I, I, I just record it now. I just record them. That's it. <laughs> or else I would be doing podcasts all day long. It was like all a right, normal I'm, conversation. I'm sorry, Eric. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but it's true. I think she comes from Ohio or somewhere like that. And, and that's the problem. Obviously, she was agitated. People are getting farmed in from outside the city. She, first of all, uh, from what I've heard, some of the details I heard, and I didn't hear from Joel Wittrell because I don't want to pry into his case right now. And But I heard from some people that she had no idea where she was. She couldn't identify who the particular police officer was. And, and, and supposedly she didn't have any injuries that were comparable with the action that she was saying was indicative of. She claimed she was stomped on the head. Uh, that's a severe action to stop someone in the head. I highly doubt it. Uh, I know Joel Wittrell. Uh, he's actually a, a great leader, a, a great cop, and just a great human being. Um, he doesn't know that I'm talking about this. I don't want to pry into his case, but I, I know he must be going through some stress uh, because this is completely unfair that an article is put out before the trial is over. And, and again, for the Civilian Complaint Review Board to refer to this as a protest is is unethical. It was not a protest. It was a riot. You know, I encourage protests. That's why I served in the U.S. Marines. That's why you and I serve in the police department. We're here. We're, we're all about freedom of speech and we're here to protect the people. And we're all we're comfortable with protests. We all have thick skin, even if they say they're anti-police. We're there to help them. But clearly it was a riot. They were throwing urine. Uh, I remember they threw a, a drumstick like you were playing a band. Even though it's light, it doesn't hurt. But just the point, they threw it. It hit a cop right in the face. They threw they had all kinds of bottles on their belts. They had like little tool belts. And there was like spray bottles and all kinds of things that they could throw at the police. And then they had people in the crowd also that were documenting what they were doing. I mean, and they had signs that said FTP, fuck the police. It was completely agitated. And, 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 I, and I heard that they were saying that the police agitated. I mean, the police were there to, to 
uphold a curfew that was administered by the mayor. And we know Lieutenant Wittrell was not the highest ranking member at the scene. It was Chief Monaghan who was in charge. Any direction was not by Lieutenant Wittrell, completely not. And Lieutenant Wittrell was a low man on the totem pole. He was a small fish in that big pond, if you ask me. So this is completely unfair. So I don't know why some of these executives are not standing up in his defense saying, hey, there was complete rioters out there. But unfortunately, I, I always told my guys in the past, and Johnny could probably agree with to this. When you're an anti-crime officer or any active police officer, you're doing your job. And when you gain complaints, the executives are never there for you because by the time that you go to speak up for that complaint investigation, they've moved on in their careers. Right. And I'm not holding it against them. But what I'm saying is that they've moved on in their careers because they're guests at a command. And now here, Lieutenant Wichel's by himself fending this case. So it's almost like you go into your funeral. When you go to these cases, you go alone. And nobody else understands what he's going through and what he has to feel that his name was smeared and put in the paper. And he has to go out there. And, and now I'm sure he's getting heat mail and things like that. And he's obviously they put him in the paper because he's Hasidic. There's not many Hasidic uh, men and women on this job. So he's easily identifiable. So they put his safety and his family at risk. But I know Lieutenant Wichel's tough and he'll stand his ground. And if he needs backup, I'm there for you. And, John, I know you are, too. Yeah, so, Joel, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry that we're talking about this. I'm sure it's a stressful time, um, but it's just something that needs to get highlighted. You know, Eric just brought up a great point. Where is Chief Monaghan? I know he's retired now. He's probably making $500,000 a year. Uh, Chief, you're somebody that I looked up to my career. Um, and then you're someone that I decided that I would never be like towards the end of my career. Um, you stopped be- you stopped being a leader. You completely went back on your 30 years of a police experience and the great work you did for the citizens of New York City to really transform this city and your dementorship that you offered and the lead that you took during those times, particularly during the RNC, during all the times that led up to make New York City truly the safest city in the world and you turned your back on that for pay for extra money to go to go with a man who hates the police bill de blasio to be beholden to have him put his hand up your ass and have him talk for you and sit there and tell us that we know that that policing minor crimes doesn't work we know that policing marijuana crimes doesn't keep anyone safe when in fact none of us actually know that that you know that and 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 to me at any time anyone uses the word we know, you're already declaring that a fact and not willing to debate. And I will never accept that. And if anyone hears me say that as well, please call me out. Call me out on that. Um, I, I, I hate that term we know because it's always something I never know. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, and, and, no, you're talking about leadership and Dim. I know you're a leader. Dim, you're retired from the job right now. If you were in an incident, and obviously, we, I already know this answer. I don't even really need to ask you because you're the most complained about cop in New York City history. So you weren't afraid to put your name on things and take ownership of the decisions you made. Yet those in the police department, particularly during that time in the riots, did not take ownership over the orders they barked. And we could see it clear as day. Is Chief Monaghan sitting in a department trial that we know on, on Lieutenant Joel Wittrell's behalf? Is he there? Was he aware of the incidents? Where is his name on anything? And how come he's not being requested by the CCRB? He's still beholden. I know I know good the good Lieutenant Eric Dim has to respond to to numerous uh 
criminal cases and, and any cases in retirement. And that's true for cops. I know narcotics cops that 10 years after their career is over, there's narcotics detectives that they're still going, they're still going to trial for cases and, and in retirement. And whether they're ordered or not, leadership, particularly the leadership, particularly the supervisors, should be there for their people to take ownership. No, I directed that because X, Y, Z. Where are you as a witness for all these men and women as they're being hung. And I'm going to read this, this, uh, I'm going to read just an excerpt of this article, this daily news article by Thomas Tracy. I believe Thomas Tracy weighs in a lot on police incidents. I don't know if he's the head reporter for police, but Thomas, you clearly, uh, I would, I would like to invite you to just have a conversation with us offline, online. I'm really questioning if if this is an article is written in fairness so so i'm just going to say i'm just going to say i'm just going to start with a little excerpt on here on this article there's a difference between chaos and doing something on purpose which roll explained nothing was done on purpose i did not kick her on purpose i do not believe i kicked her at all he said but the civilian complaint review board substantiated abuse of force charges against Wittrell for assaulting the woman, identified as Alexandra Huber, while she was down on the ground. The most damning piece of evidence. Now, I want you to listen very carefully here. The most damning piece of evidence was the body-worn camera footage from another officer, which shows Wittrell stomping on the ground, followed by a woman's scream. Okay, stomping on the ground, not on her head, followed by a woman's scream. Then when you're arresting someone, particularly an agitator, what is a common thing now post Michael Brown, post Eric Garner, post George Floyd? What is a common thing someone resisting arrest may say or do while you are attempting to, in effect, arrest. Uh, what's a common thing that they may say? What will they be saying while in the ground, in, in, in the midst oh. of, of, of actively not giving you their hands? Oh, don't touch me. I'm not resisting. Get your hands off me. I didn't do anything. I, I can't anything breathe. I can't breathe. So I can't, I can't breathe. breathe. Yes, yes. Right. All, all this. Right. So here we go. The, the most damning piece of evidence was the camera footage, which shows the Lieutenant Wittrell stomp on the ground, followed by a woman's scream. OK. <laughs> Nicole Jardim of the CCRB's administration, administrative prosecution unit said the footage doesn't actually show Huber getting it. So the most damning piece of evidence doesn't show anything other than someone. And, and you know, what, what's left out of this article, Thomas, is was she screaming prior to this? I don't believe <laughs> that would have been the first scream that we heard. Or did we just narrow down on that 30-second clip where she does scream after Joel in the middle of a riot? Does he stomp? Does he step? Is he pushed? Who's around him? How many people are surrounding by him? I have a lot, a lot of questions. I would love to actually see the video. And, you know, for you, New York Daily News and New York Post and any of you reporters out there, if you really want to comment on a video, these are public information. Please post the video. 
And don't just post the, sec- the, the two-second clip of the time you're talking about. Please, show us all the incident. Let's turn all of you police experts into actual police experts and have the real conversation. Um, this, you know, I mean, I, I really think that the, the article itself does not, is, is not, is not, is not a fair article. I really, I don't, I don't believe it's written properly. I don't believe it's written down the line. I, you know, the most damning piece of evidence doesn't show what he's accused of, but we, but we found him guilty anyway. Why? Based on. Wow. Let me tell you something. I don't want to make this about me because we're talking about CCRB, but this brings back deja vu and this brings back memories. This mirrors the the case and the trial that I had. So this is exactly CCRB's motivation, and this is their determination to seek out as much discipline as possible because they only need a preponderance of evidence. So they're not held by any boundaries, and that's why the public understands there is a concurrent investigation, as you always talk about. So obviously the NYPD has not found Lieutenant Wittrell guilty of anything. It's a CCRB finding him guilty with a lack of evidence. That's their most damning piece of evidence. That's comparable to my particular case. In 2019, when I was I was substantiated for a strip search. Now, I had arrested a, a perpetrator for robbery. The perpetrator was fighting inside the cell with the police officers. He was still handcuffed. He was not letting the police officers search him, but he was biting, kicking, and headbutting the police officers. They had to take him down. We had to take him to, down to the ground, try to control him. And his... Because he was just totally emotionally disturbed person. He has a history of it. After this, he was arrested 21 times up to the trial. Saving at the tr- during the trial, which was three years later, he was in Rikers for trying to stab a Parkchester peace officer. While in Rikers, he sliced a correctional officer in the face. And their damning piece of evidence was the video. And he claimed that I had taken my finger and stuck it in his anus to do a cavity search. And he said it was I had gloves on. One, I did not have gloves on. Two, the video does not show that because completely I would not do that. Do I not want to put my finger near any man's ass, even if it's to retrieve a firearm? But yet they found me guilty because they said that the, the way the camera footage is definitely makes the inference that we did. And yet, and I also listened to the discovery. I listened to his audio, his statement, and he said it. So matter of fact, yeah, he stuck a finger in my ass. And they never even elaborated, say, hey, did you have pain? That was they just went on to the next question. I mean, that sounds like something that I would want to have a complete conversation, investigation, start to get the details. But all he said, no, he said it very matter of fact. And he even admitted that he was resisting and fighting with the cops. In any case, that case, I was found not guilty. So here you go. Lieutenant Wittrell is being evaluated on a lack of piece of evidence. The most damning piece of evidence is an inference that he stomped on the ground. So you, so you admitted your case has nothing. He stopped on the ground. He did not stop on her face. And I know Lieutenant Wittrell and I know the other men and women out there. They don't do that. That's not even a tactic that police officers use. I've never seen it. Have you seen that, John? Never in my career. Never. No, and you would be immediately fired for doing that. So I, nobody, nobody would do that. That's insane. Um, and then, again, there was – the leadership, and I, I put in air quotes, there was the leadership of the department standing there. If anybody's seen something like that, you know, that's an automatic, that's an automatic integrity issue. That's an automatic call to the Internal Affairs Bureau. So I would think that this would spark a larger investigation of failure to supervise on all of all of the executives there. Um, if, if in fact, such something did happen. Um, so, 
you know, again, I, it, it really leads to question. And, and, and just to highlight what you just said there, you're accused of sticking your finger up somebody's ass. And the guy said, yeah, he stuck his finger up my ass. And during an investigation, he didn't even get a, a thing to elaborate. Because my, my next question would be like, well, how far did he stick his finger up your ass? Did he did it, his nail go in? Did he get up to the knuckle? Did he get past the knuckle? How did it feel? Did you go to the hospital? Did you ask to go to the hospital? Did you tell them at the hospital? Were there reports? No. He said, Lieutenant Dim stuck his finger up my ass and they moved on. And they found Lieutenant Dim guilty. Fucking, I, I, that is disgusting. That is well, not. Well, actually, even worse. They never said, he never said Lieutenant Dim did it. He said, a, he said a police officer did it with gloves on. And none of us had gloves on. Oh, Most so. ridiculous thing. Yeah. But because I was standing near him, they made the inference and said that I must have done it. Oh, you must, you must have been the one. Again, right. so, so again, they're just jumping. They're just jumping with feelings. Oh, we're investigating based on feelings, not facts. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, that is, that is insane. It's insane. It, it truly is. It's truly insanity to me. And, and here, you know, I, I just, I just interviewed Sal Greco and you guys are going to hear that. And I don't want to get too far into that, but there was something I highlighted there and I'm going to highlight it here as well. If we truly believe if there's an investigation and we have an investigative body saying that Lieutenant Dim stuck his finger up somebody's ass. We're going to let him go out and continue to police the public where he might be going to fucking stick his finger up somebody else's ass tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We're going to let Lieutenant Dim. Oh, just don't worry about it. Go out. Don't go. Don't worry. We're going to put you through this two, three year hearing. This When did this incident happen? June 4th, 2020. What's today's date? It's 11. This 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 one was March 2019. The trial didn't happen until January of 2022. So here we go. So we'll, we'll take Dims, for example. That, that, that's Dims, for example. It's almost three years later. So Lieutenant Dim is out there possibly brutalizing other members of the public, possibly sticking his fingers up other people's asses in the public. And we're <laughs> letting him run. But seriously, think about that. Think about that. If 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 we're going to if we're going to not investigate this immediately and we're going to allow three years to possibly hand down discipline for this, what could be done in that time? You could you could. It's it's a major failure on the citizens of New York City to allow Lieutenant Dim to go out there and, by the way, still be considered a credible witness in criminal trials, in summonses in arrests, in all of these things. And my point is not to say to bench all of these cops. My point is to say, you want investigations done, do actual investigations and have them done immediately. But I do feel that there was a concurrent investigation done by the NYPD, and they said, this is bullshit. And they gave it over to the CCRB, who took three years to investigate this, by the way, causing stress on Lieutenant Dim, looking to fire Lieutenant Dim. And here's my other failure. We care about cops. We care about Lieutenant Joel Witchell. We care about his religious beliefs. We care about all these things. Oh, we even put a prayer room in the precincts just now for these cops while they're being demonized. Articles are being written about them. I got a question for you. You know, how do we think that Lieutenant Joel Wittrell feels currently as newspaper articles are being he's being treated as a brutalizer. He's being written about like he's a brutalizer. Here's a guy of faith, a man of faith who took his job to serve his city, who is in 
how much time? I think I believe he has a similar time to me. I, I don't know. I believe it. I think he's, he's got about. He's got right now probably about sixteen or seventeen years. Sixteen or seventeen years. Zero history, by the way. Sixteen Zero. or seventeen years. Thousands of police incidents. I'm sure he's been involved in hundreds of arrests, whether he has him to his name or been on scene. You know, and none of none of this has ever been questioned before. And now all of a sudden he's being what's his mental health like? So not only are we going to fail the people of New York City by saying, here's this accused cop. Here's this accused cop. We're going to let him go out and continue to brutalize the public. But we're going to also. Oh, maybe maybe our good lieutenant maybe is a good person of character in New York citizen and a good New York citizen. We're not protecting him from himself. Where's his gun? On his hip right now? Why do we have a suicide problem in the, in the NYPD currently? Why are people it's, committing suicide? You know, it's ironic that you just spoke about this because here Lieutenant Wittrell is being uh, talked about and the ideologies that he's some type of brutalizer. But it's, it's ironic that you just spoke about this because he happens to be, I don't know if you know this, I know Lieutenant Wittrell is, uh, is one, of, uh, one of the major volunteers on this job for Papa. And so if the public doesn't know what POP is, POP is a police organization that helps police officers that are on the verge of possibly hurting themselves or even want to kill themselves. So he volunteers his own time to go out and he will anonymously keeps the identity of these police officers confidential. If they just need to talk to someone, maybe they're having financial issues or issues with the job. Maybe their name's been speared in the paper. He's the guy that sits down with these people in a diner or somewhere and talks to them and gives them therapeutic uh, conversations to help them. He's actually taking the time out, his own time where he wasn't paid. He's went to suicide prevention courses. I know he's been to numerous courses. He's a major volunteer for Papa that goes out and helps people. He has compassion for people. I've actually, uh, you know, I've worked with Lieutenant Wittrell numerous times. Uh, he's actually, he's an ICO. He's very good at what he does. I've actually been out there. I've made arrests with him. I've made illegal firearm arrests where he participated with me or he was there. Uh, always professional with the public. And it didn't matter. 16 or 17 years on the job. None of that was taken as a factor or consideration before this article was printed. So this article was printed with one mission. That was to demonize him. That was so it's sexy to the public. So whoever this Daily News author is, so now he gets social media points. And it's also just another stain for the police department. And as you said, I totally agree. We have to give credibility to our New York City Police Department that we understand police work, how it's affected. So here you go. In my particular case, I was out in the street for, for over three years almost four years to the time I retired, post this particular incident. And, and you would think that the New York City Police Department, if they really believed that I did that, would have me removed or they would try to have me fired. And this particular case, to even prove further, was actually sent by the Civilian Complaint Review Board to the District Attorney's Office. And the District Attorney's Office wanted nothing to do with my case, said absolutely they don't see any wrongdoing. So... They tried every angle they can. Just like you said, it's just about being punitive and to seek out termination. And the ultimate goal of the Civilian Complaint Review Board is to have the police commissioner of the New York City Police Department removed from the from the last from the ultimate decision making of discipline. That's my belief that their ultimate goal is to be able to substantiate complaints, charge them in the trial room and actually have the last say on discipline. And that's the case. It's scary. And you know what? With the discipline matrix, we are headed in that direction. 
It is my firm belief that that's the way we're going. So please, I always tell my police officers out there, read the discipline matrix. There's so much meat on the bone, this information there that is used to hurt you. You have to read it. Ignorance is, is not bliss. Please take the time to read it. So, and again, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the leadership. You know, I'm really, I'm really questioning where are the unions? Where is the police leadership? Um, and yes, I did recently. I put out a post wrongly about the Sergeant's Benevolent Association. I just want to clear the air on that. I put out that they donated uh, $60,000 to Governor Kathy Holchel or some amount like that, that it showed on showthemoney.org. And I was wrong about the date. And I immediately retracted it. And I said, this is fake news. I didn't check the date. They did not donate in 2020. And I pulled the post down. Um, and, you know, the SBA put out a nice uh, email about how that person's probably disingenuous, whoever put that out. I wasn't. I did it in anger after I saw the Pat Lynch. I didn't investigate it properly. I made a mistake. I retracted the story. I said exactly what I what happened. So but I'm, I am I am going to call you guys out on everything and I'm going to audit everything you guys do because it, need, it needs to happen because where are you on this discipline matrix lou where are you for lieutenant joel Whitrell right now where are you for the fact that anytime he goes out from this point on he is we have weaponized a matrix a ccrb process a profiling process for the guys that are out there writing summonses to demonize and fire them, and we're using their experience and the amount of times they go out and get interactions in a city filled with millions of people where you interact with hundreds of thousands of people each year, maybe even a million, you know, and, and we're not, and, and they're being, it's being weaponized punitively. So where is the leadership? Police Commissioner Sewell, I'm calling on you. I'm really asking you, please. Just, just have these investigated. Just have these investigates, these investigations looked at. Looked at. Go for the truth, not discipline. There are things, and 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 nobody's ever going to be perfect. No one on earth could be held to the standard of a New York City police officer today. And I just want to clear the air on one more thing that I said. I said it on Thomas Gambadilla's podcast. I believe that was episode seven. Um, it, it might have been a different number, but Tommy Gambadilla, he gave the finger to the statue and everyone was demonizing him. I know that Tommy didn't know what that statue meant. Um, and I, I made I made a, um, I made a, an ignorant statement, but I believe that my thought was accurate. I, uh, I had actually a two hour debate with my good friend who's not a cop. I received several pieces of mail, both through my email um, text message and my social media account. And I believe Eric Dim just started receiving some as well about what I said. And I, and I said in some in substance, I said, we were the best to ever do it. These guys that were judging us were sticking plunges up people's asses. And, <laughs> and, and, and something along the lines of when I was a child, I did see a cop smack one of my friends over the head with a nightstick for skateboarding in the park and lighting the ramp on fire. And the cop said, he asked the cop for his shield number. And the cop said, come here, here's my shield number with his nightstick right there. My friend went over to get the shield number and he was probably about 13 at the time. He smacked my friend over the head with a nightstick and left him bleeding on the ground and, and went away. And it was up to us to call an ambulance and get him there. Um, so 
I said that statement in ignorance. I did because I didn't when you know, I have a lot of pent up anger for particularly the police leadership. I don't believe that that gentleman that did that that day is representative of the men and women of the police department of that era. I don't believe that Justin Volpe is representative of the police department of that era. Um, my thought behind all of this, I was particularly saying overall as a New York City Police Department, the standard that we're being held to is an impossible standard. And many of you, most of you that worked at that time would be fired today. You would be fired for operating the way you did. Now, it is not fair of me to say that because I didn't police in that time and people were different. People were tougher. Corruption was more ripe as a whole in all of society. So it wasn't a fair statement what I was saying, and I didn't mean it towards the men and women. I did say it was an ignorant statement. They were shoving people up, plungers up people's asses. I didn't mean that. I just meant as an, as an, as a whole we policed much differently. And the way you guys policed, you would not be able to, to police that way under this standard of policing today in New York City. You would be fired. Um, and, and so that was my point on it. Um, I was particularly talking about the police leadership, particularly the three-star chiefs that are allowing us to be held to this standard when they know that it's an impossibility and they actually know the rigors of policing. You guys made New York City the safest big city in the world. Your policing tactics, you developed this machine. You set up this system that put me and Eric Dim in the broken windows model of policing and trained and made the most effective police officers that there ever were in New York City that were held to the highest standard of any organization in the history of man. And that is a fact. And I and I and so I apologize for anybody that took it that way that I was talking about all you guys. I wasn't. And yes, it wasn't fair to even the leadership because there are great leaders. There are. I don't I don't I, I, let me take that back. There are great people. There are great people still currently in leadership. However, they're not exhibiting leadership. Where are they as this are going on? They're not speaking up. So that's my hate. That's my vitriol towards it. That's where my ignorant statement comes from. But I will not. And in the conversation I had with my good friend, he told me to. And, and like, in other words, what did he say to me? I should censor myself a little bit. And I'm just letting you know right now, I will never do that. I will never censor myself. Whatever comes out of my mouth, we don't plan these discussions. I don't plan the word for word. Whatever comes out is my feeling. And uh, again, anyone that has an issue with it, feel free with me. You guys are always welcome to come on. You're welcome to ask me to bring it up if I said something or did something or even Eric Dim and you don't agree with it. I'm not I, – I am I, – I want to have conversations. I want to have actual conversations. I don't want this bullshit anymore, this politically correct nonsense. I'm never going to censor myself. The minute that me and Eric start to censor ourselves, it's the minute you guys are going to stop listening to us. So, you know, I just wanted to clear the air on those two things, and I don't want to detract from – Lieutenant Joel Wittrell at all. I wanna I just I I, I wanna finish up on, on on this and on your thoughts on CCRB. Well, that was a powerful and impactful message that you sent because I think there's a lot of value in it. And you're 100 percent right. The fact that you took ownership for the statements that you made that may have been inaccurate or gave the perception of giving a broad stroke is is everyone in that entire era. So for that, I, I applaud you, brother. I mean 
I have nothing but respect. That, that's what leadership is. Leadership is taking ownership and accountability for your actions and for your words and then reflecting on them and learning and making yourself better going forward. That, that's, that's, that's just one example of what it is to be a great leader. You know, I, 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 I really, I, I love the impactful message from Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison. So Thomas Edison, we know, created the light bulb. And what he said was that it took him a thousand times to learn how to do the light bulb correctly. So for some people, they said, well, it was a thousand failures. And he said, no, it wasn't a thousand failures. It was a thousand steps to success. And so that's why I, I totally agree with you. For people to expect police officers to be the most perfect human beings and to be flawless, how do we, in, in that case, so how do we leave the gap to actually get better, to increase our abilities, to actually have better leadership, to become better police officers? And that's something that happens over time. That's why a police officer with five years on the job gets a higher salary than someone that just started because we can assume that over time they garnered observation skills they've gotten more skills on how to be a leader amongst themselves and they garnered skills on how to deal with the public and how to make arrests and how to learn the law and that's something that we ferment over time and we have to we have to have failures along the way or these are these are steps to success you know so for them to expect us to be the most perfect human beings is absolutely ridiculous that's not how life works when you fail at something these are the people we want, the ones that get back up and say, hey, what went wrong here? Let me evaluate it. How do I get better? Right? We don't want the people that as soon as they fail, they quit. Then no one would ever do this job and no one would ever do it effectively. And the problem that I took issue with is I always said this. So this is my firm belief because I learned in the Marine Corps is that leadership may be for a select few people, a born attribute, attribute. But for most people, the majority of the world, leadership is a learned skill. And I'm not knocking the job with this, but it hasn't been implemented. Maybe it's because of funding, but there is no actual leadership training and they don't guide you on what books to read or how to become an effective leader. Because when you get promoted, you go to a seminar that's maybe a month long or some ranks of two months where you're just really getting a segment of different organizations, units within the department to tell you what they do. So it's, but they don't preach on how to become an effective leader. And that's why I had taken the opportunity on my own to seek out different books and to read leadership books because I wanted to become a leader. I wanted to be a mentor to my people and not just have the title boss. I didn't want to be the guy that points to my stripes on my arm and says, and when people ask, why am I doing that? Because I said so. I wanted to work together with my people. We can do this together and be a leader. And that's where we're lacking. So I always said, you know, it would be a great opportunity if maybe we could send some of our guys out to West Point or some type of academy or a college course for a few weeks where they learn leadership skills and they're actually informed of the books that would lead them in that direction. Because leadership is a trained skill, just like most things in life. So for you, you are a leader, my brother. For you to actually say publicly the statements that you made that are inaccurate, that's what a leader does. You took ownership, and, and from there, we move on. We should not hold grudges against people. So people should not hold grudge against you for making those statements because you took ownership, and you say, hey, I'm going to reflect on it. You took accountability responsibly, and now we move on. And we move on to the next segment. And now this is about Joel Wittrell and the Civilian Complaint Review Board and how the Civilian Complaint Review Board is demonizing, demonizing our personnel. 
and that's killing morale because the police officers around Lieutenant Wittrell and the police officers without within the job that are reading this article, they may know him or they may not, but when they read this article, they have to ask themselves, why would I go out there and put myself in a position that I could have to have my name smeared in the paper? And then I have to go home and explain to my family that may or may not have knowledge of how law enforcement works or the optics of, of, the, of the, the dynamics of police work. And I have to explain to my wife or my husband, hey, this pickle that I'm in, it's going to pass. You know, please understand that the, the, uh, the NYPD uh, has not done a separate uh, type of discipline for me. This is just coming from the Civilian Complaint Review Board. So our families out there, I thank you for standing by your police officers because this must be scary for the families as well. It's 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 very scary for everybody. Um, and, and And just another thing that's being let happen by the hashtag police leadership in the NYPD <laughs> is, is our, our, like, you know, the, the exactly what's happening to our police office on the street is actually happening to our emergency services unit members as well. Um, they're being peppered up, you know, it's so for those of you that don't know, uh, police recent personnel, whether it be the squad, whether it be, um, uh, anti-crime, field intelligence, um, any of the special operations units inside of precincts, when they get issued a warrant by a Supreme Court judge, you swear a warrant out with a Supreme Court judge. That is a legal document. That is a legal document from the judge giving you the ability to enter someone's home and search it and make an arrest. That is a warrant. It is a search warrant. That is what a search warrant is called. You have probable cause that something dangerous is in there, something that could cause harm to the public. And the judge says, yes, you have my permission legally to go in. When we get that, we will call the emergency services unit. We will develop a TAC plan. Uh, emergency services unit will make entry. They are the professionals. They are the ones that take the door. They put their lives on the line daily, sometimes several, several times a day. They issue different, uh, different, uh, different, um, you know, in all different facets, whether it be a search warrant, whether it be someone trying to jump off a bridge, whether it be anything that a regular police officer cannot handle. We call in the emergency service personnel, their trained personnel. They have done historically a great, unbelievable job. They have the tools. They have the right men and women. They have the training. And they're being benched now because of CCRB, but not because of things that they're even doing wrong. Just just based on the amount and volume of jobs that they're going to, their records are also being destroyed. So every time that a search warrant is issued and now, members of a police precinct, we do have some units like narcotics and gang, and I don't even think they exist anymore, so I don't even know what I'm saying on that aspect of it. But they will do their own warrants, and they'll get all the, the, the complaints against them. But now, members of the ESU, we're precinct personnel. We call ESU to go take this door. I think Jane Doe has a gun and drugs in her house. I got credible information. I got this warrant sworn out before a judge. They review the warrant. They say, okay, no problem. There's an attack plan. This is what we're going to do. Boom, we go there. They take the door. They go in. They make the entry. They make the arrest. And, you know, I'm sure allegations will stem of assault and uh, property missing, which we see often in these search warrants. 
um, and stuff like that, and they will get tagged up for that. But one thing that they always get tagged up for is unlawful entry, unlawful search. How? How is it even possible? How is it even possible? How are they even getting that allegation? They have a sworn statement from a judge saying go in. And better yet, some of them are getting found guilty of this by the CCRB. And where is the NYPD in this? Where is the appointed police leadership going to the mayor and saying this is fucking bullshit? You're benching these guys. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to train them to protect the citizens of New York. Not only are you destroying the men and women on the street, you're killing their ability to protect the men and women of, of the public. You're, you're, you're destroying the morale. You're bringing up the pressure on these cops. That is why suicide is up. That is a. This is not a. This is not a, a. This is not a hard puzzle to solve. I could give this to my ten-year-old daughter and she'll figure it out. You know, these are not hard puzzles. These are not hard things. But you know what's hard? To grab your balls and to go talk to an elected official and let them know what the hell's going on. Oh, and guess what? Maybe you don't get your third star. Maybe you don't get a commission, a job when you're sixty years old. And and what do you even need the money for? You don't even have that much longer left on the earth. It's a. It's 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 disgusting. Uh, Dim, I'm sorry. I'm going to rant. So just stick on. I love it. This is what a joke. This is insane. I remember this happening my last year because, you know, the, the union, the union and myself, I was actually a, 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 a Lieutenant's Benevolent Association delegate, but we spoke on the phone. I was on the phone every day with the president of the union because, you know, it was a, just a, my case was a, a case of travesty. You know, civilian complaint review board was all over me. So I had an opportunity to meet other lieutenants that would have to go for their investigations. And I did meet lieutenants from ESU that were facing these type of complaints, facing complaints for removing an emotionally disturbed person against their will. I mean, that is what they do. That's what's supposed to do because the emotionally disturbed person can't make an irrational decision and they're a danger to themselves and others that they have to be removed to a facility so that they can get help. I mean, and the civilian complaint review board is substantiate complaints for these. These men and women that train at ESU, and they, like, like you said, thousands of dollars, billions of dollars are, are meant for these guys to have the train to take these people into custody safely. They have the tools. They have the knowledge. They have what it takes to bring these guys into safety. What is the alternative? That's what I asked with the Civilian Complaint Review Board. If they don't remove these people for help, what is the alternative? Is it, do we, should we go drop them in the subway and leave them in the subway along with the other mental illness that are down there terrorizing the subway passengers? What do they want us to do with these people? This is insane. That's why I say the Civilian Complaint Review Board is a major contributing factor towards crime, and they're hurting the public. The public that they claim to help, they're hurting them, and they're putting them in danger, and they're putting them at risk. Because now, John, you have to ask yourself, if you were a lieutenant right now in an emergency service unit, for I was, I have to say, wait, I have to keep my men and women safe. So what would be your plan of direction? What would you do? I would say in scenarios that we really don't have to get involved, let's not get involved. That's it. I'm going to step back. And in, in, in situations that don't, do not really require my men and women to go in, and we're seeing that currently, and I've seen that for the past couple of years, particularly in my last years on the job, where you get emotionally disturbed people that really are completely out of control, that really should be put into a bag, uh, a bag that for their safety, for the members' safety, for the people in EMS's safety, for the safety of hospital, for the safety of the people that are in emergency rooms next to them, um, and they're not being placed in those bags. 
because, and they're not being restrained by the emergency services unit because the supervisors in the emergency services unit are protecting their men and women and allowing them to go out in the extreme emergencies when they're needed for, you know, people, active shooters, where we've seen in Newark. And God, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that, you know, both of those officers are making it out. But those are, the, those are you know, those are extreme situations where if, if we're in trouble as, as precinct personnel or transit personnel or housing personnel or even as special units, detective bureau, uh, gang, narco, all, you know, uh, gu- gun suppression, all, all of these units, we are going to call in the big boys. We're going to say, all right, get here, get uh, armored vehicles here, get the big gun here get snipers here possibly uh get the helicopters up from aviation a big shout out to you guys in aviation as well um and you know and right now that's you know and we're, that's what we're seeing right now that's currently what we're seeing um we're seeing we're seeing everyone having to take a step back and and, and that is true across the board that is a cr- true across the board in every unit everybody is getting peppered up everybody is getting put on this every and and we're not we're not policing the CCRB so now that we have you know we have all these these this police leadership that left and now they're in these uh police consulting groups and they're going around the country and they're telling everyone where there's violent crime they're telling everyone with this violent crime, let's go to unarmed people. That's going to solve. That's going to solve the shootings. Let's go. Let's have guardians. Let's have observe and report people instead of the people that go out and make these intrusive encounters like Dim was talking about. So now that we have them, I'm going to give them a scenario. I'm going to give them a great idea considering that CCRB is the utmost authority and they want the utmost authority. Let's actually send them out as unarmed security to show us how to police these scenarios, how to go to these 911 calls. And then when they come back in about a year and a half, they could develop a training plan for us and let us know exactly how that's going to happen. The problem with that is it was in the first week they will be one of them, at least one of them will be killed. Numerous of them will be assaulted. The majority of them will quit. The suicide rate will spike in the CCRB. Um, they will lose personnel immediately because they have no idea what we're dealing with. They have they have no ability, no ability to see what we're dealing with. And honestly, you want to know what cops do? I mean, here, here's the guy right here. Here's the here he is. Eric Dim. Give him a buzz. You know, you guys got my number, a lot of you. John Darsh, particularly the head of CCRB. You have my phone number. Give me a buzz. We'll have Eric come in, give you a training. I know Eric. He's a great guy. We'll even do it for free the first one. All right? We'll give you a free one the first time. Um, and you guys could ask questions and freely. Uh, and we, we will not call you extremists. We will not call you leftists. We will not go in there. We will go in there with clear heads as people that want to help make this city safer, want to make it better for the citizens of New York. And currently, I have to say, I don't believe that you guys are doing that. And I believe that is a fair observation because you're being silenced. You're, you're being silent about all of this. And I do believe that is darkness and we need to shine a light on all of it. I love everything that you said. And that's why I want to reiterate what you said earlier. This is the New York's finest retarded, unfiltered podcast. The information that you're getting right now is unfiltered. And we promise we are not going to censor ourselves. That's why we're not going to tell you the political angle that you're going to hear from executives and high echelon leaders that, hey, we understand how the Civilian Complaint Review Board is, and we're going to work around it. No, we're telling you the truth. That if I was a lieutenant in the emergency services unit, 
or if John was a lieutenant right now, we have to protect our men and women. We would have to take a step back. And unfortunately, that step back could hurt public and it could hurt the communities. But we have men and women to protect also. So we're really stuck. You know, it, it's catch-22. We're stuck between a rock. It, 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 you know, it, it's a hardship. It's a hardship for all. Our men and women need support. We need the upper echelon. Police, police Commissioner Sewell, we need you to actually stand up to not just hold to about bail reform within days of an election, but we need you to stand up and say the Civilian Complaint Review Board is hurting your men and women. They cannot effectively do their job to keep the community safe because the men and women of emergency services are there to step in when the police department has ran out of resources and has a particular scenario that needs to be handled by trained professionals with specific and hardcore gear so that they can handle it and take an emotionally disturbed person into custody so that a police officer and that person of custody is safe. So everyone is safe so that there is a process and all these men and women, the police officer on patrol that responds and then the emergency services unit that is called, they're all an important intricacy in this process. But how can they do the process properly? The Civilian Complaint Review Board is actually going against their training. The training says if someone is trying to or has the intentions of hurting themselves or others, they're supposed to be removed to a facility. But if the Civilian Complaint Review Board is saying that they forced to be removed, then it's obviously the Civilian Complaint Review Board and the New York City Police Department don't have the same guidelines. So that's what I've been talking about with this open forum. Why are they not having the same perspective? So, yes. I will. John and I can go to the CCRB if you'd like to invite us and we can do some actual scenarios. We could do a domestic scenario with you. We could do a car stop scenario. We could do a scenario where we have emergency services respond and remove someone who's emotionally disturbed. And we'll give the Civilian Complaint Review Board personnel an opportunity to play it out. And you can be the police officer. We'll critique you. And you'll see, even in that situation, you're not going to face life or death because it's a scenario and we're playing its acting role. You're going to be under stress. And this is stress. You could stop the clock and wait, this is too much. But in the real world, the police officers don't have that clock. They don't have the opportunity to say, stop. It's go time. That's it. It's live or die. That's the reality. So where is the upper echelon? You said these 60-year-old men and women that go out and seek these other type of jobs. Money's not everything. What about pride sticking up? your people we need you to stand up and speak for us speak for the men and women that are out there right now with their boots on the ground speak for lieutenant Wittrell. speak for his personnel speak for all the people that are out there look in this particular case how is it fair that lieutenant Wittrell is facing a pinnacle part of his career where he may lose 20 penalty days and according to the matrix that is a presumptive penalty which means they're saying it's automatic they're not allowing any mitigating factors. A mitigating factor would be the fact that it's a riot and someone resisting. But no, they're saying this is an automatic penalty. And yet, the complainant, the female person complaining in this case, is not responding and not giving her testimony in person. And I know that the Civilian Complaint Review Board would flip the bill for her to travel to New York City, but she still refuses. She's taken the opportunity to make this complaint. And if you ask me, from what I've heard, it sounds like she was completely coached in the details of, of, of the frame uh, framework that she's provided in regards to this incident. It was obvious she was completely coached. So, uh, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to Lieutenant Wichelow and the other police officers right now that have to make a decision. Am I going to go out there and help the community or am, am I going to stand down because of the repercussions from the Civilian Complaint Review Board? That's why I've been saying from the beginning, we have to come together. 
The message has to be to help the communities. CCOB is not helping your community. It's the police officers, the men and women that are trying to help the community. So we need to fix this. We're trying to be the catalyst to fix this situation. It's not going to happen over a day. It's going to take time, but we need your help. So, and then just, I just want to go on another thing that, that just shows the lack of leadership and the lack of even awareness of the situations they're putting the New York City Police Department in. Um, you know, I'm a, you know, I have interacted with New York Freedom Rally, with Guardians of Divinity, with Bravest for Choice, all of these people that have been out on the streets in New York City protesting. And, you know, particularly during Christmas time, MLK Day, even under Mayor Adams' uh, regime, Martin Luther King Day, if anybody remembers that, a man that was arrested for sitting in a restaurant and being black, a a truly hypocritical law, truly hypocritical. And he went there and he sat down to expose the hypocrisy and he got arrested. And I had a ton of people reaching out to me at that time. And still till today, there is this divide between those organizations who overwhelmingly support the police, but at that same time, question the police. And, you know, and there was even video surfacing yesterday that, oh, look, oh, heroes, heroes, heroes. Now, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. If I'm in that scenario as a lieutenant, and I ask you to leave a restaurant, and the restaurant owner's asking you to leave, and I ask you three times, I will make the call to make the arrest. I do not believe that that law is legit. I believe that that law violates the Civil Rights Act of 1964. However, I'm acting on higher authority that I must do this to complete my job or I would have failed to take police action, failed to properly investigate because these are the things that I must do. Now, that is not a moral stance for me because you can leave that restaurant at that point and you have you have the ability you have the ability to never eat there again. And I'll tell you right now, I will never eat one of those restaurants ever again that enforce those rules. And that goes for many of you that know me, probably even some of you restaurant owners that listen to this. I will never shake your hand and I will never go in your restaurant again, anyone that enforced that. You're disgusting. You have no balls. I don't give a shit about a fine. Write me a fine, right? So here we go. And um, here we go on that is that I would make that call and I would place you under arrest. Um, I would not agree with any of it. And I would immediately tell you to file a lawsuit against me and and everyone on the scene that made that arrest, because I do believe that that is. And I thank you for being rational, for not fighting and for exposing the hypocrisy, because what you did is you sat in there to be arrested. You sat in there to highlight the hypocrisy. I was asked several times to go sit down and I said, I'm not willing to be arrested and I'm not going to go. Unless I'm going to sit down and get arrested, I don't. I, I don't want to take that stance on it. I would rather take the stance of. I would rather take the stance of, of actually sitting back, and not partaking and eating in that restaurant, a boycott of that restaurant. But I applaud you for going to sit in that restaurant. So I made that call. But in the in the annals of history, in the annals of history. How will this be perceived that the men and women of the New York City Police Department were placed in a situation by their leadership? Because I will tell you unequivocally, if I was the police commissioner, 
If I was the chief of department, if I was the chief of patrol, if I was the chief of special operations, I would make the call to stand down and not enforce trespassing in this scenario. Because, again, I'm a 60-year-old with a $20,000 a month pension. I could leave. I am not going to put you into that trick box. I am not going to put you in this situation when hundreds of years from now, they're going to look at the time when the New York City Police Department were locking up the Disabled men and women, children with their mothers for attempting to eat in a restaurant without having a bullshit vaccine card when fucking over 50% of you don't even have a legit vaccine card. Let's get that fucking out there, too. All right. So, you know, you want to talk integrity. Let's talk integrity. I could have easily went into a restaurant and, and flashed my phone with a fucking fake bunch of bullshit on there. And I would have sat down and eat. But no, these men and women went there and they and they and they showed the hypocrisy. So, you know, so New York Freedom Rally, Guardians of Divinity and Bravest for Choice. I applaud all of you. I applaud you for not resisting arrest. I applaud the police officers that went there and handled that situation professionally. And you didn't treat those people like pieces of shit. And you did what you were asked to do, what you were told to do, what the the awful thing that that police department put you in, what they did, what the police commissioner and the mayor did because they were unwilling to take a stance against politicians who are using us as pawns. And it has to stop and it has to stop today. And I just want to give another shout out to the National Coalition of Frontline Workers. Anybody, any of you who haven't joined, I really I'm really imploring you to join. This is not a union. We're not out there. We're not going to get you a contract. We're not going to get you any of that stuff. But what we're going to do is give you a voice in the political arena. Look at my Facebook. Look at the people I've been interacting with. Look at who we've endorsed. Those endorsements come from the membership vote, your vote. I, I, I don't, you only get a vote of where you live. New York City gets to vote in all New York City elections, New York in all New York elections. We have to have our voices heard. There are hundreds of thousands of law enforcement officers in New York State currently, and our voices aren't being heard and we're being treated like morons and pawns because you don't vote. You sit there and complain. Get your ass out. Get involved in a grassroots organization particularly the National Coalition of Frontline Workers. It, it unites law enforcement, healthcare workers, and firefighters. We unite together for a strong vote and get your asses out there and vote. November 8th, I don't want to hear anything. This is not a time to sit down. Believe me, if we, I'll go. I, you, you could sit back. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to be on social media. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is join. Let us know who you want to endorse. And when it comes election time, get your ass out there and vote. We'll do the talking for you. I'll go to the politicians. Where are these bills? What's going on with this? Because we don't have that currently. And honestly, you know, I'm sure I listen. I'm sure a lot of you guys in the union fucking hate me. And I don't really give a shit, to be honest with you. But I'm telling you right now, I don't think that I don't think that you guys are capable of this either because they're, they're, you don't have the numbers. You don't have the numbers to go and affect change at a political level. We need to unite at, at a whole, as a whole, at, in each state, in each polling district, in each everything. We need to unite and bring our voices and our concerns to the elected. This is the only way we're going to right the ship. And by writing those elected, we're going to write the leadership in the police department as well, because those are politically appointed decisions. So that's how we're going to fix this ship. Um, then what, what do you think about that? Well, obviously you are so compassionate about the vaccine 
and I can I can feel your energy and I can hear it. It's completely genuine. It comes from the heart. And I agree with you. I actually, you know, I actually was a victim of the Cuomo administration. My father, unfortunately, was in a nursing home and he, he was uh, really sick and uh, he couldn't get the care that he needed. And uh, unfortunately, he had died of COVID while he was in a nursing home. And uh, so I am a firm believer that uh, the administration definitely was a leading factor in the cause of my father's death. I did lose him in uh, April of 2020. And, uh, it, you know, it's unfortunate. So at the time, I made the decision to get the vaccine. Like I said, you know, I was in the Marine Corps. I had so many different shots. So I said, ah, well, what's one more? But once I saw it became a, a political measure and a tool used for politics and bureaucracy, uh, you know, at that time, I said to myself, I wish I didn't take it because I wanted to stand with you guys and uh, I'm so compassionate. I agree with you. I, I refuse to go to restaurants that I had to check a vaccine card. You know, I, I'm actually, I don't know if the public knows this, but I'm, a, I'm not a religious person, but I am uh, from Jewish faith. I did have a bar mitzvah growing up. So, you know, and, and I've had a family that was in the Holocaust. So I hear stuff like this and showing a card, a vaccine card. It reminds me of all the stuff I, I, I heard and read about in Nazi Germany. And, and I said to myself, wow here we are. It feels like, you know, what my ancestors had to go through. And, and these are the little steps that, that led to the, the Nazi regime. It didn't happen overnight. It was a small step. Same thing, stamping, showing cards, having to be identified to go into specific locations. It, it, it was a scary time. And I, and I stand with you. I hear the compassion. I tell you, I, I'm so behind you. I really do. I, I regret taking the vaccine because I wish I could have stood with you guys. And I still stand with you because it should be a choice as your body and you know all the uh, analysis that i have read says that getting the antibiotics is, is by far more effective than this vaccine and, and to this day i mean how much do we really know about the vaccines it was it really piqued my interest to, to understand why is there three different vaccines why is there three different companies why is it that two require two separate doses but then johnson johnson requires one dose and it came up in you know, in, in a short time where the transition was Trump to Biden, and I'm not trying to go too much into politics with it, but it really was a scary time. So to hear your compassion is amazing. I really do stand with you guys. For all the people that are facing the issues right now with the mandates, uh, we have your back and we're here to support you. And John's been doing a fantastic job, man. My hat goes off to you of getting your voice out there and, and really helping these guys and, and, and fighting for for freedom. I mean, that's what this is about. I mean, the Eagle, I, I wear, you know, I wear, I, when I was in the Marines, I would wear the Eagle Golden Anchor and the Eagle represents freedom. And that's what this is about. That, that is not living freedom. Having to show a vaccine card or showing some identification on your card that allows you to go to a restaurant. And, and we, it, it really proved that this was type of an experiment. It really proved that it's not too hard to control uh, control the public to, you know, to have some type of control over people with fear and shame. And it really, it was a scary time. It came to, I remember standing in close proximity to someone and they would move away from you. It was, it was just an awkward time. And, and really, if you think about it, it's, it, it's only two years later after the COVID, uh, the, the height of the pandemic and, and the world has changed and we're trying to go back to normal. We're not wearing masks anymore, but we're still harping on these, these mandates and these vaccines because we're afraid to double down and talk about taking ownership. 
Adams is afraid to say, hey, we made a mistake in enforcing this vaccine. And and let's say the failures that we had and what we learned and the point that we're at, and these guys have the antibodies. Let's bring these guys back. But they're still, it's still about politics and bureaucracy and doubling down. And I, like I said, uh, I apologize for taking the, taking the vaccine. I wish I was able to stand with you guys. Just that's I, I got to be honest. It, it was an important fact to me to get the injection or not at the time. But what's important to me is to stand for the principle of this particular travesty, because it is a travesty. Uh, and guys call me left and right, especially now after stuff you've been talking about the vaccine. Say, oh, I was forced into it, forced into it. And and you're talking about men and women crying. I, I saw it too. It's really sad. Men and women crying, like their backs against the wall. It's either a paycheck or and getting a vaccine that you, you, you highly stand against. And how, uh, this is the part I still don't understand. How do we discriminate against different religious accommodations? How do we say which religious accommodation is applicable to not get the vaccine or which religious accommodation doesn't meet the, the factors. To this point, I don't understand. How how did they come to the determination? So since you were so involved, could you tell me, because this is the part that I haven't been informed on. Did they actually give a, delineating, a, 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 a deciding factor on which religions accommodate? So, or, or have, have so here's the thing. So here's the thing. There are people. Oh, they'll say, "Oh, Roman Catholics didn't get it." That's bullshit. There were ro- plenty of Roman Catholics that got it. Oh, Jews didn't get it. Bullshit. There were plenty of Jews that got it. The Muslims don't don't account for it. Bullshit. Ton of Muslims got it. Right. Okay. Uh, ton of people got approved of all religions. At first, they were saying like only these certain little sects of. Uh, I, f- I forget what I forget which ones it was, uh, but. When I really look into it, when I really, really look at it, when I look at it from high level, and they denied at the city council hearing knowing who left over the mandate, which, by the way, is a bunch of bullshit. Because I'm telling <laughs> you right now, I'm telling you right now, you can keep blocking the request. I'm going to keep them coming. If I get it at 80 years old, I don't give a shit. And I'm going to expose you then when you're dead. And I'm going to tramp on your legacy because I don't give a shit. You know, um, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep trying to get this information. I'm going to keep working the best I can to actually get a delineate actual if I have to find every person in every situation and put it together myself, I'll do it. I don't care. And for the unions out there, for you organizations that support the police, but are fucking silent like little pussies. For you guys that all say that I'm sitting here trying to make a name for myself when I can't even work in New York City, when I destroyed my name and my and my my profession and my law enforcement career, where I can't go and all I had to do, all I had to do was put a little fucking needle in my arm and shut the fuck up like you guys did. So all I had to do, I would have sailed to tons of money. I would have sailed to great jobs in this city, not because I know anybody, but because I'm competent and I'll outwork all of you. And currently right now, I'm working my ass off without pay to write this ship, without doing any of this. And I don't care and I'll do it again. And I'm not sorry I did it. But don't you dare sit there and say I'm trying to make a name for myself because by, by all stretch of the imagination, I have not made a name for myself and I have fucking brought much harm to myself and my fucking family. So don't you fucking dare accuse me of that shit you know and and if anybody has a problem with me anybody out anybody out there in the union you think i'm a jerk off 
You know, uh, we, you know, uh, Lieutenant Dim's been getting a ton of threatening messages from Cop Watch. We offered to do a smoker. I know Dave Sieve will do it. I'm more than willing to do it. I have diminished lung function. I'm 42 years old. I'm willing to do it with anybody. I don't care. We could do it. We'll do it for the kids. We'll put the money to charity because I'm sick of hearing the bullshit. I really am. I'm sick of hearing it. I don't care. You guys could be trained boxers. You'll probably kick my ass. I don't give a shit. Let's do it. Um, but, but back to, but I, I completely lost my train of thought cause I'm fucking pissed just thinking about all that. I'm just, I'm just pissed about saying that I'm disingenuous and that, and then I'm trying to make a name for myself cause, they, cause that's not what, what set this all on. But, but what were we talking about them? I, I don't even, I, well, I lost my I, well, train of thought. Well, so this is the point. Actually, yeah, you're right about that. They did offer a smoker. I told, they, they, they told me to sign a waiver. I said, I already have my USA passport. I was ready to do it. They, they never accepted you know, to, to have a match with the founder of the cop watch, some guy that was trolling me. He doesn't even show his face, but that's not even important. I don't even want to give them any airtime. They're really not important to us. Uh, you know, I always have my gloves and gloves with me. So if they find me, I'm in a parking lot. I'm always ready. No problem. I don't need to go to one of your church basements and, you know, I have my gloves. They're ready anytime. No problem. So, uh, but I don't want to give them any airtime because they really don't deserve it. So, but what we're talking about here. So what I'm curious, because this is more important for our people right now, as we represent them. When you got that letter saying oh, that you were denied you. your accommodation, what did it say? What was the detail of why is your religious accommodation and what was your religious accommodation? If you mind ask, answer that, what was your religious accommodation and why did they say your religion does not fit the promise to get an accommodation? That's the part I don't understand is how do they say, well, John believes in, you know, in turtles and this one believes in, in this. What makes that religion, you know, have more power than another one this is the part i don't understand okay what did they say all right so i'm sorry i went off on that rant I'm just, no no that's great that's, I, I, i'm really let's, let's, let's not give it let's let's not give them any I, time I, I, no 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 i agree i agree I, I i apologize for that i'm just i'm yeah. just a little upset I'm, i've been upset about all this stuff so so um so okay so i first i put in a, a medical exemption for my uh antibodies denied due to uh dear applicant uh after careful consideration you've been denied then I put in a religious accommodation. In my religious accommodation, I stated that I've been a Roman Catholic. I've been a Roman Catholic my whole life. I believe that my conscience is God speaking to me. And I truly do believe that. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and lie. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that every situation in my life and every decision that I made in my life came through my self-reflection in my thinking. And I believe that I've been set on a path in my life to become a police officer, to get married, to be a father, how I'm going to be a father, what type of father I'm going to be. I believe that reflection is me speaking with God. I point to the Bible. I point to two verses in the Bible where Jesus two times says, those who are sick, those who are not sick have no need for a doctor, but those who are do. And again, we could go over this and I'll sit down with a priest. I'll sit down with the Pope. I'll sit down with biblical scholars. The Bible speaks differently to all of us. I read Bible stories and I reflect on them. That right there is clear as day to me. It's clear as day to me. 
you know, you could give me several different versions of what that means. And I could probably come up with a few different versions of what it means as well, because I do believe that the Bible is multi-layered. And I believe when you reflect on these stories, you could reflect on them in multiple ways. But right then and there, clear as day for the layman. For the person, you want to just talk about reading a story, reading it in depth, or just taking it at surface. When I read those verses at its surface, what is it telling me? I don't need to take medicine when I'm not sick. I don't need to go to a doctor when I'm not sick. And I do believe God healed me, and I almost died during COVID from, from a pneumonia that I sat with for nine days when I couldn't get a Z pack. Cause every doctor and their mother sat there like a bunch of cowards with their, with their, <laughs> Oh, we don't know. We don't know. I'm like, listen, I, I got pneumonia, man. I, this isn't, this isn't right. I can't breathe. I can't walk. I can't talk. And I'm still dealing with the effects of it to today till today, you know, and it's, it's, you know, I had pneumonia for nine fucking days. I almost went out of the picture. Um, so, I submitted that. I also went further on to state anything done in conscience, anything done in violation of conscience is damnation. And um, that was that was in the I forget who stated that that wasn't in the Bible, but I forget how it was stated. I think it was the fourth uh, the fourth Letarian Council. It was stated. I forget who stated it. It was a pope at the time. Anything done in violation of conscience is damnation. And And I wrote about how. You offering me $500, all the information that in my head is telling me that I would be violating my conscience and what I know to be true for me to sit down in a chair and have another man stick something in my body when you have not properly explained to me what that is. That is not an ideological belief. That is not a philosophical belief. That is wholeheartedly what I believe based upon my religious beliefs. And I did have a captain, and I won't shoot his name out there, but he is he is uh he is gay. He's gay. And I said to him at the time, I said, I want you to do me a favor. He did not want to take the vaccine. He's in great shape. He's a good looking guy, works out every day. He's in great shape. And he said to me, I said to him, he said he didn't want to take it. I said, do me a favor. Write down on paper all the reasons you don't want to and what your brain is telling you, and write a religious exemption. And he said, Well, I don't believe in a religion. And I said that and I said, that is absolute bullshit because that is absolute bullshit. I said, whether you're part of a faith or not, whether you're part of an organized religion or not, your belief is your religion. Your conscience is your religion. Now, whether you believe you're speaking with God or not, your conscience is a religious belief. Your basis of morality is based upon something. What is that? It's your belief system who dictates whose belief system is real or not. So again, I was one of the first people that were denied in the NYPD. I personally believe I was the first. Um, and my my exemption, my denial letter stated, dear applicant, after consider- careful consideration, you've been denied. Uh, I submitted for, I submitted for a uh, appeal. I then was being told that I wouldn't be able to run my time and they didn't know if I would retire, be able to retire if if that appeal was denied. So I submitted for retirement. I ran my time in hopes that my appeal would then be approved. 
Um, I filed a complaint with the New York State Division of Rights, and I compiled. I filed a complaint with the Office of Equal Opportunity at the federal level, but it's still handled at the state under Governor Kathy Holchel and Letitia James. And in both of those scenarios, when I went to in both of those scenarios, when I went to file that complaint, uh, the messaging on the top was make sure you get your vaccines and all of that stuff. So I knew the the court that I would be dealing with in there. So I submitted those appeal. I submitted the complaints to them. Uh, NYPD came back. The NYPD came back and stated that um, I didn't properly explain how my religious beliefs conflict with the vaccine mandate when I clearly did. Um, So New York State Division of Human Rights asked me to rebut it. I rebutted everything that the NYPD stated. I rebutted it properly. I rebutted it clearly as day. I again explained exactly how my religious beliefs conflict with the wording in there. Um, and oh, and also then uh, the NYPD said I did not appeal, which is a lie. Which is a lie because came to find out once I submitted my stuff and I and I submitted my my papers to to give me the ability to run my time. Uh, and look for employment and figure out how I was going to feed my family um, and and get them health care. I, uh, I do have a daughter with special needs. She's blind, for those of you that don't know. She has low muscle tone. She requires tons of work. And, you know, it's not something that I ever highlight. But, I mean, it's not something because I'm not going to use anybody or anything as a crutch in my life for why I have to do something or why someone's going to tell me what to do. But I so I... I, you know, so I, I used that time in order to learn how I was going to feed my family and how I was going to go move forward in, the, in this existence without all of the, the things and the crutches that I sat with and the fears I had about my pension and about speaking out and about all of these things. So I did, uh, you know, so. So I, I, you know, so the NYPD said I did an appeal, which I did. I rebutted to New York State Division of Human Rights. New York State Division of Human Rights came back and said that I was not discriminated against because the NYPD accepted other people's. So for New York State Division of Human Rights, that is the definition of discrimination. You, uh, that is the definition of of sitting down. And saying, giving two people two different results. Eric Dim believes in God more than John. Who is the definitive factor in that? Who decides morality other than you and God or you and your belief? Who is to tell you what you believe? It's never been done in history. And the reason it hasn't been done since this nation's history and been established because it violates religious freedom. And then I know, and, and so I wasn't given any reasons, but I know people were given reasons like, oh, well, you've taken vaccines in the past. So what are you saying? What is the what is the police department? What is the New York City saying to you? You could fluidly change your gender. You could change your species. You could be a frog. You could be a man one day. You could be a woman the next day. You could do this the next day. But you can never decide that I don't want to take medicine again because I took it one time in my life. Now I have to be beholden to Big Pharma. Why wasn't Mayor Adams beholden to the, the big pharmaceutical industry with his diabetes? Why did he you choose diet over that? Why is he allowed to if these things aren't allowed? Um, so – and so through everything that I know and my theory, and I'll originally I'll give you my real theory. My original real theory was I thought that I thought that I thought that white officers were being denied at a higher rate 
than minority officers. And I thought that what he said was, oh, this is a chance to diversify the department. I thought he was doing that. And, and I thought that minority, particularly uh, uh, black and brown officers and women of color were being approved when male whites were being denied. And through everything I realized and all of the people that I spoke through, because most of the people who I then began to speak to who were denied were women of color and were women of color, were people of black and brown uh, people. Uh, they, were, they were the people who were predominantly predominantly and overwhelmingly affected by this mandate. And so I then said, hey, well, what what do they have in common? And what I had in common with these people was they were tier two like myself. So I truly believe this has nothing to do with your religion. It has everything to do with financial capacity for New York City. Um, And whatever that is, I will find out at some point we're going to find out whether it's 10 years or 20 years from now. But I went from thinking this was about skin color and nothing about religion to realizing that this is all about finances. And this is all about, hey, let's get these let's get these guys in tier two off the job and let's keep the guys who are making less money and less pay. Let's have them. Let's have them continue to work and do our dirty work and we'll get rid of the tier two guys. And anyway, we don't like them anyway. They know too much anyway. So, by the way, thank you for not approving my religious exemption. I really do. I thank you, Mayor Adams, because you really you really freed me of a great burden and a lot of fear that I had about leaving this job and about speaking out and about telling the truth when everything in my conscience was telling me to do that. So I thank you. The day I left, I got a call from Fox News. Hey, do you want to come on? And still then and there, I was very scared and afraid to speak out. And I said, what a coward I would be if I didn't take this opportunity to speak for people like me who are being affected by this mandate, who are being demonized by this mandate, who are being put in this trick spot, you know, God presented me with this opportunity. So I did, I jumped off the cliff. I did the interview here. I am. I'm still speaking out about it and I'm never going to stop. And I, and you know, and I, and I, and I told my wife and, you know, she, she was like, you know, you're stressed out. I really want you to leave. I really want you to put your papers in. I was going to stay and get fired. Um, but she, she didn't think I would, I would actually make it if I did do that. So, so she said, uh, you know, just please put your papers in. You're too stressed out. I don't, it's not worth it. Money's not worth this. You know, I, I don't want you to, I don't want you to be a martyr basically. And so I put my papers in, I left and, and, you know, I, uh, you know, I, and again, I, I, I thank everybody for it because I, I, at this point in my life, I realized what life's really about. Our time on earth is very short and, uh, I don't want to teach my children things that, um, other people control you. That's not what my faith said. That's not what God said. And God has been telling me to speak out. And he's given me a vision to see clearly through all this bullshit. And he gave me the ability to speak without fear. Um, and I'm going to keep doing that. And, and that's, and that's, and that's sums up the vaccine mandate for me. I do believe that if you look at it, uh, and I could be wrong about this, but eventually we'll get the data. We'll research it. Uh, what's being blocked with all of, with all of their things. But like you said, you know, everything, every, every, uh, everything has a season. 
we were being demonized and we couldn't eat in restaurants at one point and I couldn't take my children to after school events and they weren't allowed to partake in sports. And it was a very dark time in New York City and the light is starting to shine. And yes, they're in charge now. And yes, the data is being hidden, but that data will come out eventually. And it's all going to come out eventually and it's all being brought to light eventually. And when it comes out to light, but currently right now, my thought is that tier three is being granted the majority of exemptions and it's being done this whole thing is a mass layoff and it's being done to gain financial uh to for a temporary financial benefit because new york city is failing under our incompetent elected officials and this is how they're doing it to cut billions out of the budget is to get rid of men and women like myself men and women like eric dim and i truly believe the matrix and the ccrb is also being weaponized to do that as well so those are my thoughts those are my beliefs i may be wrong uh i don't believe i am and, and in another aspect, I do believe that the unions are fully aware of the stuff that I'm talking about as well. And they're not sharing that information and they're being a bunch of silent cowards as well. And, you know, and for the SBA who said that I'm disingenuous, um, I just want to say that you're coming out to support Lee Zeldin two weeks before the election is an abomination. You should have been on board from the get go. Should have been on board from the get-go. You came out because you got pressure because of men and women like myself who've been speaking out and saying, where the fuck are you, right? And so, I, you know, you want to tell me I'm disingenuous? That's fine. Let's sit down. Vince, you're more than welcome to come on here. More than welcome to have a conversation. You know, again, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But this is my feelings. Where were you? That's it. Dude, you, <clears throat> let me tell you something. You just highlighted something. I was listening to everything, and I, and I don't want to get away from the, the mandate, what you've been talking about. But you just highlight something I was saying for years, actually way before COVID was even a thought. I always told the guys, because I'm very into economics and reading books, economics. I read stuff from Dave Ramsey. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm really into these. I read Tax-Free Wealth, uh, books by Robert Kawasaki. And what I've learned from these books is about the ideologies of the pension. And it's interesting because a lot of the guys, they're misinformed. And they talk about going to pension seminars so they can learn about their pensions. And, they're, and I always told some guys that, you know, they would, we would talk and uh, some guys would be looking for a house or some investment opportunity. And I would say, well, where are you getting the money from? The guys would tell me different sources that they would take money from. Some sources, maybe they'd be paying 15% interest or 10% interest. So I would say, why don't you take the money from your pension? Take, the, take a pension loan, and then you can – so you can make your money on investment. That's your money that you're entitled to. And most of the guys and gals and the public solicitors would tell you, oh, no, no. They said never take a pension loan. So this is my little tidbit to the police officers that are on the job right now, Tier 2 and Tier 3 personnel. I just want you to think about this. If you never read any books on economics, if you're not financial uh, savvy, if you never spoke with a financial analyst, ask yourself this. And so this is why I just, before I, I, I circle back to that, I just want to reiterate what you're saying, John. I really do believe this is part of a bigger blueprint economical plan to get the tier two personnel to retire along with the mass exodus and to have tier three continue on. This is part of what you're saying with the vaccine mandate. It's interesting. I, I would ask the guys and gals sometimes, and for the public and for my police officers that are listening to this, ask yourself this. Why is it, if I am a tier two personnel member, why can I take a pension loan, 
But if I'm tier three, I can't take a pinch alone. If you've never read a book, you have to ask yourself why. I mean, that should really peak. That should be a red flag in your mind. Because believe me, it's not because they care about your pension because they really don't give a shit. Because that money is your money and the money, the city uses that money for interest purposes. That is your money. All right. And some guys, oh, never take the pension. Oh, you're losing 4%. Yes, you may be losing 4%. But if you have 200000 in your, your pension bank and you're losing 4%, but you made an investment that you're making 10%, let's do the math. So you have to know how to utilize money. But the word never, never take a pension loan because that's what you're told. You are misinformed. So I do believe this is part of a bigger blueprint economical plan. So I'm really happy that you hi- highlighted it. I really do think that this vaccine is part of getting the tier two out. CS, the pressure CCRB puts along the discipline matrix is to get our, t- our tier two personnel off the job, right? There was even consideration about a buyout, but the buyout, unfortunately, was never uh, pushed towards the police officers and firemen. Obviously, they realized it's just too much to remove this emergency personnel, but the buyout was off the teachers. Initially, it was put on the desk. It was talking about all city workers, but eventually they said, wait a minute, we're going to lose way too many police officers and firemen, particularly police officers. So I do think this is part of an economical plan. Everything that you said is on point. I do think it's completely unfair that you and someone else could have the same religion, but for somehow their beliefs trump yours, that doesn't make any sense. And I think this should go far beyond religion. I worked with numerous men and women that they were timid and scared to take the vaccine because they had a belief that possibly vaccines in the past have affected their children. Unfortunately, in the police department, we see it and in the world, but particularly I saw in the police department, there was a mass problem with police officers having kids with autism. And I know a lot of the men and women I worked with, they were scared to take the vaccine because they thought that vaccines in the past, stuff that they've read, possibly had an intricate role and why their kids had developed autism. So they did not want to take the vaccine for those purposes. I thought that would be a reasonable accommodation, but apparently it's not. So for you to inform me now on what exactly your denial said, I really appreciate it because I, I never knew exactly what the denial said. Uh, I, 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 that's really scary that we say it to me is that one religion trumps another one. And I agree, even if you're uh, you're atheist, I, I, listen, I'm Jewish, I'm not very religious, but we all believe in something. We have faith or just, we have ideals. Those are beliefs. And even if you're not a part of religion, if you're a part of an organization, you have beliefs, you're part of a culture. Uh, so for this, this vaccine was def- definitely weaponized to attribute to this mass exodus. The CCRB, the matrix, that's part of it. And I do think that the ultimate goal is to have tier three and then obviously move on to some other tier that's going to remove stuff from this pension so the city can find their way out of this bankruptcy that they're headed towards. Uh, would you agree on that? I, I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, no, I do. And and I just want to highlight the fact of them speaking. You know, I was obviously I, I wasn't in the financial situation, but I'm smart enough to have had money to weigh me over if I needed to go the two years to my pension or whatever it may be and support my family. And I'm smart enough to learn other ways to make money. And I you know I don't come from means my you know my father's a disabled veteran um he didn't make much money had bad ptsd he couldn't really hold the job great guy but he just couldn't be told what to do and you know he had terrible ptsd my mother was a school crossing guard and she did that so that you know basically we had health care um you know we we lived in uh and and my my aunt had a three-bedroom apartment in bensonhurst and she let us live with her for a long time 
um, basically where my parents didn't have to pay rent. So I don't come from a lot of means and I don't come from educated people. Uh, I taught myself how to invest my money. I taught myself how to save money by the same way that Lieutenant Dim is saying, um, by reading books, by watching videos. Um, so I was able to put myself in that scenario. For those of you that aren't in that scenario right now, I really do think, you know, and I, I, I hate to hear people say, oh, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. I can't do that. I can't do that. Make yourself afford it. Figure it out. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my good friend, Stephen Gitter at Pure Vest. P-U-R-E-V-E-S-T. Uh, he's a friend of this show. Uh, reach out to him. Let him know that we sent you over. You were listening to the podcast. You heard about him. Um, and basically, he could give you – he's an investment advisor. He is a fiduciary, meaning – and these are the only type of investment advisors you should ever, ever speak to, whether you're going on retirement, whether you're looking to get out of financial debt, whether you're looking to make a plan for you and your family and your children to set you up. Steve's a great guy. He's no bullshit guy. I know him for a long time. I don't deal with fucking phonies. So it's the only reason I'm even telling you this. He doesn't even know that I'm doing this right now. And I hope that me mentioning your company doesn't bring you any harm. But I want to give it to the men and women, my listeners, and I want to give them the opportunity to, <laughs> to, to reach out to you. Um, and basically what a fiduciary is, is if you invest with a fiduciary, they only make money if you make money. You know, I hear guys, Bingo. That's I, right. yeah, I hear guys giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to these investment advisors and they take 1% or 2% off the top of your money, whether they do good or not. That is fucking bullshit. They're robbing you. Get out of that contract immediately. Go look at a fiduciary, whether it be Stephen Gitter. Um, he is a uh, Gitter. It's a uh, G I T T E R uh, at Pure Vest. Uh, he has an office, I believe, in Staten Island on South Avenue. I'll get you more of the information. But people like that, you want to make sure you're sitting down with a fiduciary if you can't develop on your own. You know, me and Dim spoke offline. I think the book that changed my life. It's a very short read. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was Great able book. to, you know, and it's a very short read. I read the book. I think I read it within a day, um, you know, and again, I'm not a well-educated guy either. I got 60 college credits. I got 90 by uh, getting my, uh, my, uh, my academy credits uh, consolidated, you know, so, um, but yeah, so I think it's, it's it, you know, we make enough money where we're able to save if we do the right things, you know, uh, people like, Oh, when I left, they're like, Oh yeah, you're good, bro. You're good, bro. You know, I know you, I know you're smart. I know you got money just so everybody's aware. I owe close to $2 million to banks. I do have multiple properties though. I do have other sources of income. And again, I don't give a shit if I got to dig a hole for $150 a day, or I got to mow lawns. That's exactly what I'll do. I'll do whatever I got to do to feed my family. I have no shame in it. I don't hang my hat in anything that I do. And I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be sorry for anything I have to do to feed my family either. And I think that all of you really need to start getting that mentality. I don't think that you should rely solely on your pension. Uh, my father, one of the careers that my father, one of the jobs, I would say, because he never really held a career, but one of the jobs he had, my father was a Teamster for about five years, I believe. So he had a small pension from the Teamsters Union and the Teamsters Union was corrupt. And the, te the Teamsters Union, they were using their pension money 
to fund other projects that organized crime was like dipping into that and using it as a sludge fund. And so were politicians. Um, and currently what we're seeing is that in New York City, all of our funds are being used as such slush funds to fund all of these insane things. I don't know if you guys are aware, but Brad Lander, that little cuck of a man who is our uh, he's whatever he's supposed to be in charge of all of our money. He's the. Uh, not the public advocate. He's our city controller. Guy doesn't have an accountant experience. If you look at his life, he's a complete mess. He hasn't made any money other than except through the city. He's in charge of our funds, and they're using all of our pension money to invest in green energy, in failed green energy policies. I do not believe that this is a path for success for our pensions. Um, I don't believe that men like Bill de Blasio or Eric Adams or Phil Banks or any of these men should be in charge of a trillion dollar budget in New York City or our pension fund or dictate where our funds go. Uh, and we did lose a few hundred million to Russia as the same time they were saying that they were going to take property, legally owned property from uh, Russian oligarchs. We had our money invested in Russian funds, hundreds of millions of dollars. And they were going out on the news and basically saying they were going to steal, particularly Brad Lander, that he was going to steal because that. That's what that is. He was going to take property, high-end, million-dollar apartments in New York City from Russian oligarchs. And my first question to Brad was, so why? So you could live in it? Who benefits from this? Why are we stealing legally-owned property from a nation that we may be – we may be in conflict with at the same time, our countries letting other countries buy up the farmland in the United States of America. Um, so which is which is that's the one thing we should be pulling back. No other country should own farmland or any resources that are in this nation. And that is my firm belief. No other country. If you want to buy property, you want to buy things of luxury in this nation. Sure, they are all yours. They're yours, whether we're in conflict or not. But to 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 get involved and buy things related to infrastructure is 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 irresponsible so while they did that we still had hundreds of million dollars invested brad landa then reaches out to the russian investment companies and says i'd like my hundreds of millions of dollars that i invested back and russia told him kindly to go fuck himself and we lost hundreds of millions of dollars out of our pension fund thanks to that little cuck of a man brad lander so i don't know if you guys are aware of that i'm sure your unions didn't inform you of that i'm very aware of it i keep very good eyes on it so what i'm saying is continue to build other multiple streams of income uh, work. I know you guys are tired and you don't have a lot, but work to see how you could make money and what you would do if God forbid, you know, you were fired because you're a proactive police officer or because the next thing comes down and they give you a, they give you a contract right now that says, here's your contract. Here's your 4% with your zeros up front so that we don't have to give you any retro or your very little money up front so that we don't give you any retro. And, and those retros are never true retros because you don't get that money placed into your ITHP. You don't get that money placed into your 50%. You don't get that money placed into your deferred comp. You'd never fully see that money. So them not taking uh, them not taking that original contract that they were offered, that no brain contract with no givebacks was a failure on the part of Pat Lynch. Um, and, and, you know, he cost you he cost you guys a lot of money over the course of your lives. Um, so, I, you know, I, I would I would definitely push on them for that. But I, I do believe that next contract, they're going to try to give up your bodily autonomy, basically saying whatever they want to stick in your body 
you're going to have to do it like a fucking pincushion, whatever it is, whether it's COVID or whatever fucking else they want to say, um, you know, your anti-racist vaccine or whatever the fucking bullshit that they want to they want to throw down your throat at this point. Um, and so, you know, I know some of you guys are on the fence of leaving now. I get calls every day from people who want to leave this job early because of the pressures during this mass exodus. So that's my message to you, you know start to to look at that and think about things and just and, and just really start to take hold of your finances don't rely on the city of new york where they could treat you like you're a piece of shit beholden to them and it's them who are all fucking city workers themselves who've never done anything but earn a paycheck from the city treat you like you're a piece of shit and you need them more than they need you when that's not the fact they need us more than we need them let them will fucking throw their uniforms on and go out there and police these streets Ah, well said, brother. Well said. That is so true. That's why right. I want to give a little tip out there to the uh, to my MOS that are out there right now. If you're a tier two and you're on the fence of whether to leave or not, there's a lot of stuff about your pension that you don't understand. Misinformed. There's stuff that they don't tell you at the pension seminar. And I'll tell you this. A lot of guys don't know. Well, let me circle back before I go to that. So I'm a firm believer, just as you said, you should not put all your eggs in one basket. Your pension is important, but you should not solely depend your life on your pension you should have other outsources and other means so one thing that i learned in the book from rich dad poor dad and you probably learned the same thing john is fear keeps people back from actually earning money and the fear of taking any risks and it talks about poor people not necessarily poor but what the book rich dad poor dad talks about is poor people are poor are poor because they say the words like you said well i can't afford that he says rich people say well how can i afford that and poor people uh, are afraid to take risks. They want security. So listen, there's actually an option out there. They'll never tell you this at a pension seminar. If you're on the fence right now and you have a real estate opportunity to make some passive income, or there's some other investment out there, you have an opportunity to make other income and passive income. Pass- passive income is where you don't have to spend man hours of time, but you're actually making some type of investment, some residual income from it. So for my tier two personnel out there, you may not know it, but there are there is tax-free money that is available to you in your pension. So with web comps right now, you can get a pension statement up to date. And with that pension statement, it will actually tell you how much tax-free money is available to you. So here's something that they'll never tell, tell you. And unfortunately, this is not available to my tier three personnel. This is available to two-tier personnel, which is why they also want to get you out. So you can find out what your tax-free amount is available if you have some investment opportunity. I'm not saying take this money to go out and buy a car because that's a liability. A liability is something that removes money that you can never gain any value. You want an asset. An asset is something that you have monetarily that actually gains value over time. That's an asset. Your house potentially could be an asset. Not always, but if you're using it and it makes money over time, it's an asset to you. Okay. Your car is a liability because as soon as you drive it, it's losing money, but a car is necessary. But if you do have tax-free money that's available to you, so let's say it's 50 some more thousand, you can take that 50000 50, and you have to oblige to a loan, whether it's five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever the case is. And all you have to do is make one payment. After you make that one payment, you call computations at the pension section. Computations at the pension section. And you tell them, use my tax-free money and I want that loan extravated. And you do not have to pay that loan back because your tax-free money will absorb it. And you might say to yourself, well, how does this work? Well, it will absorb it it because when you retire, you have to take that tax-free money anyway because 
your pension gets taxed. So that tax-free money has to be deciphered somehow. It usually has to go in your hands as a lump sum of money. So you might as well take that now to get an investment so that you have some type of passive income. That money is available to you. Now, they'll never tell you that. Also, I'm a firm believer that it's important that you have 457, which is deferred compensation, or a 401k. And I actually think, I know some people, especially guys that you know have a one-track mind, this is all they've learned with the pension, is all oh, the pension, the pension. I actually think that you should put more emphasis on your 457 or 401 than your pension. And here's why. You may be saying, well, I'm losing a lot of money right now on the 457 401k. Things are down. And they are down. And that's okay because when they're down, it's almost like if you went to a store and you were buying clothes. If you go to a store and you're buying clothes, you're going to look for the clothes that are on sale. If normally there's a shirt that you could buy for $50, if you get on sale for $25, you'd buy two shirts, right? Well, that's the same thing. When your stocks are going down, your 457 or 401, as they're going down, you're getting two or three for the price of one. So eventually, when they go back to normal, because the American com- American economy is not going to fail, it will go back to normal, and you will make money. And, here, and here's why I say you have to put more emphasis on the 457, 401. Because when you retire eventually one day, the pension dies with you, okay? But the 457 401 does not. That's a living a living institution. So that God forbid something does happen to you, that money can be passed on to your family or kids or friends or whoever you just choose to disseminate it. Okay. So the pension is great, but I do think that a 457, 401 is actually better than your pension for those reasons. You can take a pension gamble. I'm sorry, a death gamble with your pension. But what does that mean? That actually means a reduced pension. But with my 457, 401, I could take money out of it. I could put it in an IRA. I could actually move it around. The pension is kind of limited. It's important, but it's limited. The pension should be a baseline. Use that as passive income to find yourself other passive income out there. Do not put all your eggs in one basket. And please, for my men and women out there, you are a New York City police officer. And for those of you, I hope that you earn the title cop. There are so many things that you can do in this life, okay? There are people out there outside New York City who really do appreciate NYPD personnel. They know that you have the training. And there's a lot of information. Sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit. You are a, a, a qualified candidate, much more qualified than you think you are. Do not be afraid. If this job is not working for you, it's, it's really destroying your mental health and you're not comfortable and you can't do the job that you know that you can do and the police work that you were trained, well, then you know, you know it's okay to move on. Move on to something else where you'll get appreciated. There are other avenues out there to make a, a qualified living, to enjoy your life, to have a good living for your family. Don't let this be the end all be all. Do not let them hold you hostage. If you're comfortable and you're doing well and you want to seek out the 20-year retirement, well, God bless, do it. But if you're really at that point where you're saying to yourself, this is just not for me and, I, and I'm not comfortable, do not let this destroy your health. There are other avenues out there and take it. And you can find yourself valuable in other paths. And that's why I feel that, John, you really have found this path. And maybe this path has found you and you were meant to seek out this purpose and to help people that were abused by this vaccine mandate and speak out in other ways and really hold uh, different politicians accountable. And I feel like being coined as the most complained cop uh, really put me in a position to help other people. I want to be the catalyst that could change CCRB and also the discipline matrix. So with that being said, I'd like to say that John and I are working on, we'll be starting a consulting firm that's coming off 265 Police Live, and we're here to help our men and women in the police department. So for those of you right now are, are have facing a CCRB investigation or you've already been substantiated, please contact us. We will help you with your testimony. We'll take the time out to decipher your case and work with you. Uh, because I know that when you guys go, because I've been there through many cases, when you go 
for an investigation and you are the subject of a civilian complaint. It's unfortunate, but you get a three to five minute window with the attorney and the uh, representative from your union within three to five minutes of your actual interview. It's just not enough time to prepare you. You need time to prepare for your civilian complaint because you are under fire. These questions that are going to come from CCRB are at rapid fire, and the questions are meant to uh, solicit and elicit a false and misleading statement by you. And sometimes you just don't know you're doing it. You're nervous. So you need training. We will train you on how to deal with the Civilian Complaint uh, Review Board investigators. John was the commanding officer. Okay, he was the liaison from CCRB to Internal Affairs. I myself am the most complaint cop. I've been through so many investigations, substantiations, and trials. We have the experience of testimony and trials. We will train you and we will help you. We will give you the best defense that you could have in your CCRB case. So please contact us. You're not alone. We were here to help you. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for adding that, Tim. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, you know, I think this episode was good. I, I think we could kind of wrap this one up here. I think, uh, I think this was a good episode. Um, and you know, we got a lot more coming at you cause I have about 50 other things on my sheet that I want to <laughs> talk about. Uh, but I don't want to make the episodes eight hours long. Uh, but I appreciate, again, I appreciate all you guys listening to us. I appreciate everybody, the critiques, the nasty emails i really do I, I i'm not kidding i i i really i want i want you guys to call me out if you think i'm bullshit or you think eric's bullshit call it out you know yes. again i anybody you guys are welcome to come on um the you know and again the guys that are working you know will be a voice i really don't want you guys coming on i don't want you guys to get hurt you know i, I get a lot absolutely of- not I get a lot of requests for that a day and I turn you all down. It's not because I don't want you. And it's not because I don't think that your opinion is valuable. I don't want to put anybody in a bad spot and, uh, you know, let us know any topics you want us to bring up. We'll continue to do that. Um, I'll continue to throw out the things that I'm seeing. Eric will continue to, to comment on the things we're seeing. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to start to push back a lot more at the so-called, police experts, the police trainers, the police influencers, because I'm watching a lot of videos online. Um, You know, I'm watching a lot of stuff that I just don't like that's being portrayed wrongly to elicit more followers from the public, but to paint you guys in a bad light and to spread false information. Um, So I'm going to start to call out a lot of people on LinkedIn, on stuff like that. Eric is as well. Um, and again, we'll be critiquing things. And I'm sure some of you guys aren't going to like the stuff that we say. But I'm telling you right now, we're not doing it to elicit followers. We're not doing it to get elected. We're just doing it because I'm fucking sick of this bullshit. And I really am. And I'm just, I'm literally giving my honest opinion. So again, I thank all you guys for listening. Uh, I look forward to the next round of of questions and comments and all that. And, and, and I appreciate it. And I appreciate all the guys you, you guys are doing. Uh, you know, keep up the good work. Stay safe out there. And, uh, you know, and just be smart, you know, really, really take take time to, to hold back. And anybody that's facing CCRB now, my only advice for you currently is slow it down. That's it. Slow it down. Don't be afraid if you don't know something. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I could get back to you on that. Um, don't be afraid that you don't know the answer to the question they're asking you or you don't understand the answer to the question they're asking you. I mean, Joel Wittrow's case, please read that article. Um, 
And uh, please read that article and just see how we're being painted. Um, it's 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 not right. It's it's not. And if any guys know Joel, I know that you'll guys know that's a bunch of bullshit. So, so uh, you know that that's that's my end on this, Tim. You know, if you want to end it off, sure. The last thing I just want to leave, I want to say prayers to the new to the two Newark Police Department police officers that were shot in the line of duty. My prayers to them and their families to the department as such, Newark Police Department, all the uh, departments throughout the country. My prayers to you men and women that are still out there. You are heroes. And I want to thank God to the outstanding police work because they brought that animal thug to justice. I saw the picture of them bringing him into custody. I forgot his name. uh, And I don't even want to mention it, but some perpetrator from East Orange, which is uh, a a neighboring town of uh, Newark. Uh, Thank God for our men and women out there. And 265 Police Live, we are the experts. We'll give it to you constantly we're giving you content the information's out there we're going to give it to you real we're not going to censor this uh by men and women out there we're here for you we love you thank you